again, good morning. So would you join me this morning? We're going to read half the book of Luke. <laughs> We're going to be reading the 15th chapter. Two, two um, areas there, verses 1 through, 15, 1 through 7 and 25 through 32. Very familiar passages, but uh, again, it's God's word, and we need to hear what he has to say. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus preach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man had a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what would he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And now, 25 to 32. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fatted calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And all that time you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after swandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Amen. Amen. We start today a sermon series just simply titled, Lost and Found. Um, we're going to carry this series all the way up uh, leading into Palm Sunday. And the goal behind this series is to, for us as a church, we pray all the time and we say all the time that we want to be a place where lives are changed and stories are altered. If we ever, ever lose sight of God's heart for people who are far from him, we might as well cease to exist being a church. That's just the reality of it. God's heart is for people who are far from him. And so this series is not only intended to help us capture once again that heart for God, but it's really to also inspire us about what are we going to do about that? What are we going to do about the people in our life who are far from him? What are we going to do about that? And so my prayer is that this series, would you just join me in prayer Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's someone that you know on social media that you've talked to but you haven't seen in years. I really truly believe God wants to leverage our life for the sake of the kingdom. 
The question is, is will we allow ourselves to be used? Because Easter's coming, and can I tell you something? There is no easier time to invite someone to church than the Easter season. But the question is, is who are you going to invite to church? Who are you going to bring with you? And so we're going to pray that God's going to do some amazing things over these next few weeks. Father, we come before you. Lord, we are so thankful for who you are, what you're doing in our church, what you're doing in our lives, what you're doing in our community. Holy Spirit, we pause this morning to specifically ask you, align our hearts to yours. Jesus, you came to seek and save the lost. We must as well. So Lord, I pray that today you would, at the very core of all of us, that you would challenge and encourage us to be a part of the Father's heart and business here on this earth. God, may we not just hear another sermon. May we leave here on a mission, I pray. In the mighty and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen. We are going to start this morning by talking about misunderstood value. Misunderstood value. The, the section that Ray read for us this morning is one of the most famous sections in all of Scripture. It's one that we have heard. It's one we've heard taught on. It's one we've heard explained and preached on. All If you've been in church for any length of time, and honestly, even if you do, haven't been in church, the, the, the story and the topic or the example of the prodigal son is even used in media. Oftentimes it's referenced. It's one of the most well-known stories there is in just literature in general. But what's really interesting is that the stories that Jesus tells here in Luke chapter 15 are stories about value. They're stories about value. And so I want you to think with me for just a little bit because we need to wrap our minds around value. Uh, Specifically things that have value to us and also things that don't have value to us. Because Jesus tells the stories because his hearers had misunderstood the importance of value of those around them. For instance... Um, let me tell you a little bit about one of my pet peeves. I hate leftovers. Is there anybody else in the room? Come on, be real. Raise your hand if you despise leftovers. Like, like I'll go to a restaurant and they're like, "Do you want us to box that up?" And I'm like, "Nope," because <laughs> it'll just sit in my fridge, not getting eaten. I, I do. I like food piping hot. I don't even like it lukewarm. I'm the type of person that like the piece of pizza could boil the inside of your mouth and that's when I want to eat it. Like it's like, you know, they're handing it to you and they're like, no, be careful, it's super hot. And I'm like, awesome. <laughs> like I, I just, I've never been a fan, unless it's chicken noodle soup. Chicken noodle soup is incredible, second day. Um, but one of the things, that I, again, and, and whenever I, we have that, like, so for instance, leftovers for me is I've assigned a value to them. I've, I, in my mind, I've seen it as less than, not worth my time. I'm going to avoid it at all costs. I'll, I'll eat something other than that. Or think of it maybe a different way. Uh, just here shortly, many of us are going to be spring cleaning. And you're going to be going through your house and maybe you're prepping for a garage sale. And what you're doing is you're going item by item through your house, and you are making a determination, what has value to me? What do I want to keep? What do I want out of this house? Now, you cannot make that determination for someone who lives in your house. They have to stay. (laughs) 
But my point is, is that like as you're doing it, like when you think about a garage sale, you are pulling up to someone's house that they've made determinations, I don't want this anymore. And there's a whole group of people who are coming and going, ooh, I really want that. In fact, even whenever you go shopping, whether it be Target or Walmart or Amazon or wherever it may be, without realizing it, you are making value determinations. You are saying, I will purchase this because it was worth the amount of time that I worked to own it, or that's too expensive. It's not worth my energy and effort. You're making determinations in regards to value. And so Jesus tells these stories, and they're stories about things that were lost and then were found. And he tells these lost and found stories because he's assessing value. These three stories that Jesus tells, were very, they're very well known. Most are remembered, and the longest of them is obviously the story of the prodigal son. But he tells three. He tells the story of a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And each story is set up with something that is lost, but that has value to the owner. Enough that the owner is desperately searching, desperately longing, desperately wanting that thing to be found. But catch this, this is what I love. Jesus goes out of his way, not just to tell us that it was lost and that it's found. He gives us the perspective, the window of the owner when it comes back. All three stories, they highlight not just the lostness of the object, but the response of the owner whenever that is found once again. And I want you to realize that each one of these stories is a story about value. And not only just value, but the increasing value. So for instance, the first story he tells is the story of the lost sheep. And he says, this shepherd has 99 sheep and one is lost. 99 and one is lost. 99 sheep, one goes missing, and it says the shepherd leaves the 99 to go and find the one. Okay, the second one is it says that they've got, this lady's got 10 silver coins, but loses one. And the final story is the father with two sons and who loses one. Each one of these stories, what we see is that the value, each time Jesus tells the next story, the value increases. It moves from 99 and one's gone to 10 and then one's gone to finally there's two sons and one is gone. Each one of these stories is highlighting the fact that like there's a value that is being placed here. With each story, the importance increases to the culmination, finally, the prodigal son. A father who's got two sons and one leaves home. One goes far away from the father. I, I think about this, you know, especially when we get like to the story of like the woman who's lost the one coin. Like, I want you to think about the last time that you lost something, right? I, I Not long ago, I had a gift card to a steak restaurant that I lost. Let me tell you something. That house was turned over. I mean, we, we searched high and low. I, I'm like, kids, the first person who finds this gets a prize. I've got Jason and Ruby. They're like tearing the house apart. We searched the couch like seven times. Like there's this desperate, so I'm like, I am not losing a steak gift card. This is not happening. Now, if it was a salad gift card, see you later. 
<laughs> no, but I'm sitting here, we searched and searched and searched, and I looked everywhere. What had happened was that I was in the process of getting into the van, and I had it in my pocket, and when I lifted my leg, it had fallen out onto the ground. Well, there was snow on the ground, and so it, like, the backside of the card was white, and so it mirrored the snow perfectly. But can I tell you something? Oh, I found it. <laughs> Don't you worry. You know the culmination of this story. <laughs> right? I, there, I searched high. Like there was a desperate search. And that's the picture that Jesus gives with each one of these. He's giving us a perspective of the owner going, I will find it at all costs. There is no chance it will remain lost. See, the truth is this, is that whatever we celebrate and whatever we despise, they reveal value, don't they? Celebration is a window into what a culture values. You can look past the exterior decorations of a holiday, past the streamers, the food, the decor, and you can see a meaning that's being celebrated. Take Israel, for instance, Yom Kippur, Passover. You have these festivals where families gather together. They share in a meal. They're bonding with each other but they're revealing in their celebration what they value. In Passover, they're saying, my God came and he saved. He rescued us from slavery when we had no way out. That's the kind of God that we serve. Think about America, for instance, right? Just like with Israel, food, travel, decorations, we, we celebrate things. We celebrate Independence Day. Imagine you're not an American and you show up on Independence Day. These people are insane. It's like they're throwing dynamite into the air and exploding it. <laughs> like they've gathered together at nighttime and they're shooting high-powered like explosives into the air and then they cheer. <laughs> but as soon as you start to get a window into the why, that there are representations of the battles for our freedom and for our revolution, suddenly you see, wait, this culture prioritizes and values what it cost for them to have independence. The celebration gives you a window into the value. You want to see and understand any culture, you look at what they celebrate. Because it's going to give you a window into the values of the people in that culture. You want to know them and understand them, you need to see what they honor and what they celebrate. In fact, this is one of the reasons why many times missionaries will reach out to us around key celebrations in their home country because it reveals the spiritual state of that country. I remember when we got an email from a, a missionary from India, and they said, we really need you to be praying because there's a lot of darkness that's happening. There's a, a pagan festival where the streets were lined with people worshiping their fa- false gods, bowing down and offering sacrifices and food and all these different things and, and praying and, and honoring thousands of deities in their country. And they're like, and it's so heartbreaking to watch just the streets lined with people worshiping wooden and stone idols. But the celebration gave them a window into the spiritual nature of their culture. So what we celebrate reveals value, but also what we despise reveals value as well, doesn't it? September 11th reveals some things. Reveals our absolute despising of terrorism. We remember it as a reminder of how much and how broken that that really is. Or take, for instance, I want you to think back to the last time you had the worst service you've ever received at a restaurant. 
My guess is you told everyone that you possibly could of how bad it was. Don't go there. Right? <laughs> You're like, it was terrible. They treated me terrible. My food never came. They charged me an arm and a leg. Like, like, seriously. And you're like, oh, I would never do that. I've never said anything like that. I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. Cool. Hop on Hartford City Happenings. <laughs> and in two seconds, you can see what people despise and what that reveals. <laughs> but can I tell you something? A culture shifts when the values shift. Across college campuses right now, we're seeing a shift in culture to the point where there's countless students supporting Hamas, a terrorist organization. What was deemed as evil is now seen as good, and what is good is now seen as evil. This shouldn't come as a surprise to us because in Isaiah chapter 5, listen to what the prophet said. Was sorrow for those who say that what is evil is good and what is good is evil, that dark is light and light is dark, that bitter is sweet and sweet is bitter. What sorrow for those who are wise in their own eyes and think themselves so clever. You see, what we value really does matter, doesn't it? It says a lot. So what happens if the church loses its way and quits valuing what God values? That's the setting of these three stories. I want you to read this again with me. The setting of these three stories says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. You've got people who are hurting who are broken with pasts, and, but they're sitting at the feet of Jesus going, I know I'm broken, but I need you. Heal me, like, like speak to me. And there's a desperation there. But it says, this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, <gasps> even eating with them. <laughs> the setting of these stories, there's three groups of people. There's the Pharisees, there's the disciples, and then there's them. The Pharisees, the religious elite, the people who should have known the most about God, the people who had it. You've got the disciples, Students of Jesus soaking in his miracles, soaking in his teaching. They're like sponges wanting to learn more from him. And then there's them, those who've come to listen. Notorious sinners, tax collectors, the unvalued, the looked down on, the despised, the Gentiles, the people that everyone else said there was no chance that God would possibly love them. And Jesus tells this story because he sees what's happening as he sees a broken sense of value. That's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the perspectives. He gives us three different stories on the perspectives. And what I, he, he gives it with the culmination of the final one being the story of the prodigal son. And what Jesus is trying to do is get us to ask the question is what perspective do we have? And there's two different windows. There's the window of the perspective of the father and the perspective of the older brother. The perspective of the father who represents God and the perspective of the older brother who absolutely in this scenario represents the Pharisees. And what we see here is it says that the tax collectors and notorious sinners, they're coming to listen. And it says it made them start to complain he's associating with such sinful people. And when Jesus starts hearing their complaining, it says, and so he told them these stories. 
three parables, three stories, three different things to show something. Because you see, the perspective of the Pharisees is the same perspective of the older brother in the prodigal son story. It's the perspective of them saying that, listen, like that they see those who are lost, they see the prodigal son as having no value at all. No value. They look at it and they're saying, listen to me. They, they see these people as being God's outcasts, never to be used, never to be loved, never to be pursued, never to be valued again. And in their value, their perspective declared something about their lives. They said, I want distance. I don't even want to rub shoulders with these people. I don't want to have conversation, no meals. There's looks of disdain and disgust. There's conversations happening on the side about them that's happening. They see these people coming to Jesus and they're like, he's even eating with them. Jesus sees all three groups, the disciples, the Pharisees, and them. So he tells these stories as a response. What's important for us to notice, they are a response to the Pharisees. He saw their looks. He heard their words. He responded. Because you see, the mantra of the Pharisees was essentially to these kind of people, not only do they have no value, we need to just let them go. Let them be gone. But the perspective of God, I want to bring them close. Get them home. There can be no further of a comparing and contrast between these two. Jesus is saying the heart of God is to bring them close, to bring them home. Let me prove this to you with these stories. You see, Jesus was an agent of change. Dallas Mavericks owner, Mark Cuban, did something really interesting. He hired a woman by the name of Sint Marshall, a woman who admittedly knew absolutely nothing for the most part about basketball operations at all whatsoever to be the CEO of the Dallas Mavericks basketball team. <laughs> Think about that for a second. Her resume had nothing at all to do with basketball, and she's the CEO of an entire NBA team. How and why? The reason is, is that Mark Cuban simply told her he was hiring her because she was a proven leader that was an agent of change. He said, I can teach you the basketball stuff. What I need is a leader. I need someone to change the perspective and the direction of the organization. And so he hired her on to do that very thing, to change the culture. Can I tell you something? There was no greater agent of change in the entire world than Jesus. And he's looking at this situation and he's seeing the Pharisees who are looking down on all these other people. And he's like, I need to change your perspective because not only do I need to change yours, my disciples are soaking in every word and they need to see the heart of God. So let me tell you this story. Let me tell you these sequences of stories. The stories were intended to confront and challenge their lives, their perspectives, to reveal the value of heaven to them. So if we're going to understand that, first we need to look at the window that the second son provides, the older brother. It says this, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in, <clears throat> going in being the party. <clears throat> His father came out and he begged him, but he replied, prepare yourself, this is the sound of a pity party. All these years, 
I'm slaved for you. And never once <laughs> refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. I don't know about you, but the older brother just needs slapped. <laughs> like someone needs a spanking. Like <laughs> he says, yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. Can I tell you something? There's a window that the, the older brother gives us. Religion. Divorced from godly love always produces bitter hearts. Religion divorced from godly love always produces bitter hearts. Grumpy, mean, hateful Christians are a perfect reflection of the Pharisees. Can I be real with you for just a second? I have a fear for sometimes those who have become thoroughly obsessed with the book of Revelation. Just hold on, hear your pastor out. We need to know what it is. We need to know what it's about. But can I tell you something? Every time that God talks about the end times, it's not a hunker down, care only for yourself, us for and no more, keep ourselves from the No, it's a be about the Father's business. Time is short, get out there. There's a lost world. Like every time that God like starts talking about the end times, it's like an urgency to the church. Be about my business, not go into hiding. Be about the kingdom, right? But what often can happen is that without realizing it is that in our religion, we're like, no, I just, I need distance. I need to like just hunker down and like blah, blah, blah. Listen to me, a church that has lost a heart for the lost is a church that has lost the heart of God. We need to understand the very utter joy of heaven. Look at these three. Right, we're going to look at all three, the, the ending of all three of the stories Jesus tells. And it says, and when he was found, when he found it, this being the lost sheep, the shepherd, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I found my lost sheep. Do you catch that? It's not just the fact that the sheep was found. He's like, hey, 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 hey. I found it. It was in the woods. Like, come, come back. Like, like, you, you, like, the sheep's found. Like, come, celebrate with me. Rejoice. Like, like, is it just that one? No, let's go to the next one. One more slide over. Oh, no, sorry, this is the right one. And when she finds it, the one who lost the, the one coin, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when one sinner repents. Can I tell you something? When I found that steak gift card, there might have been a dance. <laughs> Let's go back one, sorry. Rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels. Do you catch that? When one sinner returns home, heaven throws a party. Let's go to the last one. 
And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate what? This happy day. For your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Like, church, we cannot lose our heart for those who are far from God. If we lose sight of the heart of God, we will also lose sight of what we already have. Let me prove it to you. It says the older brother was angry and he wouldn't go in. His father came out and he begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. In all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Listen to the language. I've slaved for you. Do you realize what he just did? He changed his identity. From son to slave. He despised and he refused to enter the celebration. He rejected the sounds of joy. He rejected the party. He refused to put his dancing shoes on. He's like, I'm not going in that party. Mm -mm. It's for my brother. It's not for me. Party should be for me. I mean, look how awesome I am. (laughs) He's throwing the biggest pity party ever. And he's like, I'm just over here slaving for my father. He's a rich kid. Like, (laughs) it's not like he's out there shirtless with a pitchfork hauling hay. Like, (laughs) come on. I mean, he had the wrong focus. He focused on his work rather than on his father's heart. He wasn't serving the father. He was serving himself. He says, you never gave me, dad, even a young goat. The dad's like, dude, you sleep on a down comforter. (laughs) Not a single thing for all my years of slavery. Listen to me. This is so important. We have to grab this. What he was saying to the father is he's saying, Dad, I think you're honoring the wrong thing. I think your priorities are way off. Be careful saying that to God. The truth is the father reminded him, son, it was all yours to begin with. You wanted the fattened calf, it was yours all along. Everything that I own, everything that I am was yours. You lost sight of it because you were trying to earn your way. All you cared about was yourself. Look at the contrasting of these two perspectives between the father and the older brother. The father absolutely hated the absence of the prodigal son. Every day he longed for him to return. The brother, he loves the fact his brother's gone. The father, he looks, he searches, he pleads. The shepherd that lost the sheep, the the woman who lost the coin, they're looking, they're searching, they're pleading, they're going everything to find him. They're turning over every single rock and nook and cranny. The brother focuses on self and how they're different and secretly they're hoping that the brother never comes home. The father longs to embrace the prodigal son in his mess. The story goes, he, every morning he's searching the horizon. He's looking for even the tiniest speck of evidence that his son's coming home. And when he did, he became undignified. 
he pulled up his tunic and he went running out to meet his son. Grabbed him in the biggest embrace in the midst of his son's mess. But the brother, he can't even stand the sight of the prodigal. and doesn't even want to touch him. The father looks deep within his heart. He's longing for the return of his son, but the brother hopes they never come back. The father sees the prodigal as invaluable. His brother sees him as garbage and trash and refuse. The father, the shepherd, the woman, they rejoice with the party. The brother, they got a party too. They throw a pity party and they refuse to join in the celebration of the father. There was two parties that was thrown, an actual party and a pity party. (laughs) Which one do you want to go to? Let's look at the window the father provides. The father is obviously God in the story, and it shows us God's heart for those who are far from him. It's not a they, a them, or a those gross people, or can you believe it's, it's my boy. He's coming home. That's my daughter. She's coming home. His perspective and focus is of a shepherd searching far and wide for the lost sheep. Of a woman turning over the whole house to find the coin. Of a wealthy father rising early every morning, scanning the horizon each day in search of his lost son. The perspective of the father is he's looking for even the smallest sign of a pivot. Any response that resembles repentance. So the question ultimately lasts for us, for you and me, which window do we provide? Are you more prone to get worked up, frustrated, aggravated by a particular group, a sin, a lifestyle that can set you on a tirade? Or are you known to rejoice, throw a party, and get your dancing shoes on when someone turns home? Do you join in as you're invited to celebrate their life change or are you wanting them to be punished, reprimanded at the least, pay back what they owe, and then the party actually to be thrown for you? Are you more concerned with the mud, the thorns, the tangled, matted mess of the sheep than the fact that the sheep is back? Are you more concerned with where the coin was found, why it ended up there, and whose fault it was that it was there? that you can't even rejoice that the coin has been found? Are you more concerned with what your brother or sister was doing while they were away and even making exaggerated assumptions about the type of living they engaged in than the fact that they've turned and come home? Are you more concerned that the celebration for their lostness being found and come home is a waste of resources that should have been spent on honoring your goodness and mine? So fill in the blank. Who is your they? Is it Republican, Democrat, divorced, proud, homosexual, womanizer, feminist, misogynist, arrogant, vain, pretty, handsome, ugly, race, nationality, color, skin, gender, gender identity, the one who hurt you, the one who hurt someone you love, the one who's jealous, the one, fill in the blank. If we can't celebrate when someone returns home to Jesus and wants to repent. We have lost the heart of God. 
if they truly come home, if they long to repent, if they long to be changed and be restored to God, what would your honest reaction be? Jesus tells these stories to confront the Pharisees, to challenge and call the disciples to what they should value, but also to remind the tax collectors and notorious sinners as if to say, my love is chasing you. Just come home. Who we are and who we must be. Party people. One of my favorite lines in the whole story is it says that the, the, the father grabs hold of the son, hugs him, gives him and challenges them. I want you to bring a, a ring and a robe and some sandals for his feet. But then there's this line that says, and the party began. <clears throat> we have to be party people because if we're not, if we have the perspective of the older brother, we leave destruction in our wake. There is countless people who in the process of starting to try to turn home met the older brother and turned back to their old way. They were deeply hurt, deeply cut, deeply bruised, deeply wounded. I know many people that are that way. We've got family members. I've got friends. I, I had a conversation with someone that they were at a, one of the most broken moments of their entire life. They walked into a church. They heard a message about the gospel. Their hearts were ready to turn. They were living in the midst of like a sinful lifestyle, but they were ready to like turn to God. And as they were walking out the door, there was someone who greeted them with just absolute hatred and vitriol. And as they were walking out and they've never set foot in a church again the rest of their life. We got to be party people. Seriously. We have to have the perspective of the Father that says, bring them close, bring them home. To love them. A good friend of mine, um, he was a student in youth ministry many, many years ago, and his name's Richard. He had gotten saved, and uh, God was doing some amazing things in his life. Um, just absolute passion for Jesus. I'll never forget, uh, I used to pick him up to bring him to youth group every single week, and uh, I had no clue that he was lying to his mom. She didn't want him going to church, so he just told her every week he was going to a friend's house. <laughs> and I was picking him up thinking that she knew he was coming to church. <laughs> and uh, he had a brother who was not saved. And Richard's faith was starting to have interactions with his family and it was causing some arguments because he didn't stand for the things he used to stand for. He didn't accept the things he used to do. He was making lifestyle changes. And his brother set him down one day and looked at him and said, your faith is destroying our family. I remember Richard coming to me and he's like, Pastor, what do, what do I do? Like, I'm not going to turn back from my faith. Jesus has done too much in me, but like, what do, what do I do? And I said, well, invite your brother to church. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand, Pastor. He said, my brother's already had a conversation with me. He said, don't you dare ever invite me there. He says, if you ask me to come there, if I don't punch your pastor in the face, 
one of the things I'll do is I'll just cuss him out right then and there. And so he's like, I, I can't invite him. I'm like, so what should I do, Pastor? And I said, well, you should invite him to church. <laughs> and he's like, Pastor? And I said, I said, Richard, I've been cussed out before. What's one more time? Like, <laughs> like seriously. A few weeks later, um, he comes walking through the back door, and uh, he's got the biggest cheesy smile on his face. He's like, yeah. And he's walking in, and his brother comes walking in right behind him to youth group. And I walk over to his brother. I make a beeline straight for him. And I said, hi, I'm Pastor Josh. And I put my arms around him, and I grabbed him in a big old bear hug. And I said, it's incredible to have you here. Tom, his brother, ended up giving his heart to Jesus. Served as a board member on his church, part of a worship team that was there. He was 20 years old, so he was too old for camp, so we snuck him into camp. <laughs> God did some amazing things in his life. He actually ended up donating part of his liver to somebody else so that they could survive. Because there was a group of people who chose to be party people. That they threw a party instead of a pity party. The story of Glad Tidings Hartford City, we pray all the time, will be lives changed and stories altered. I want you to look around. The chair that's empty next to you is the story of someone not yet written. There's someone in your life that's far from Jesus that needs him. The question is, is what perspective do we have? Are we the father? Are we the shepherd? Are we the woman with the lost coin? Are we willing to do almost whatever it takes to see them come to Jesus? Or are we the perspective of the older brother that goes, it's kind of comfortable right here. We talk about having a reach three, and that's our prayer is that every person that attends a Glad Tidings campus has three people that they are always praying for that they would come to know Jesus. Who's your three? Who's the three people in your life that every day you're going before the throne room of Jesus going, God, I'm praying, make your love insatiable to them. God, I'm praying, find a way to woo their heart back to you. God, I'm praying that there would be people intentionally sent into their life to drag them back to the kingdom of God. God, I'm praying that you would orchestrate events, that you would do whatever it takes that they would come to know you. We have to be a church that has a heart for people who are far from God. We have to, because that's the very heart of Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. He's the one who leaves the 99 to find the one. He's the story of the woman that's desperately searching for the one lost coin, and he is the story of the father who is desperate for his son to come home. We are believing for God to move in our midst. Can I tell you something? Easter is just right around the corner which is terrifying to say. But the two most likely times for someone to accept an invitation to church is Easter and Christmas. They did a study and they found close to 80, if not higher, percentage of people, if they were personally invited to church, would come on one of those two days. Not just for Easter, but for next week. Who are you inviting to church? Whose story do you want to help change? 
Who in your life can you say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be a part. Like, I refuse to have the perspective of the older brother. I'm going to be like the father. I long to bring them back to the kingdom to be, to bring them close. We want to be a church that sees lives changed and stories altered. If we're going to do that, we have to be people that say, God, leverage my life. Use me. As Red and the worship team come to the stage, will you just stand with me this morning and just bow your heads and close your eyes. We're going to take a moment here. I don't want to miss this. This is a moment between you and Jesus. I'm going to ask two questions. The first is simply this. With every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around, this is you and God moment. I just want to be able to pray with you. Maybe We actually had someone first service, which is incredible. We were able to celebrate and rejoice. But maybe you're here today and you've been far from God. Maybe you've been growing up. Maybe you've been raised in church. You've grown up in church your whole life, but you've never really surrendered your life to Jesus. And today you're saying, I want to come home. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of all the broken places that I've tried to find life and hope and fulfillment and joy in that just left me more empty than before. I want to come home. Today could be your moment where the father wraps his loving arms around you, embraces you, calls you his son or his daughter and says, I love you, come home. Again, with every head bowed, no one looking around, this is just you and Jesus. I'm not going to make you come to the front or anything like that. I just want to be able to pray with you. If that's you today and you're saying, you know what, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Or maybe I made that decision a long time ago, but I have most certainly been like the prodigal and I've wandered. And today I want to recommit my life to him. If that's you with no one looking around, would you just raise your hand? I don't want anyone to miss this opportunity at all. This could be your moment. Anybody at all? Thank you. I want everyone to just repeat this prayer after me. Listen, a prayer doesn't save you. It's not like a magic formula or an incantation or something like that. What it does is what's happening at the heart level. Remember, Jesus sees the heart. That's what all this all is about. So if you pray this prayer and you mean it, you are a child of the Most High God. So if you would just repeat after me, dear Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need you. Today, I want to come home. I confess my sins. I repent. I turn from them and I turn to you. Today, Jesus, I make you my savior. Bring me home. Call me your child. I trust you. I believe that you rose from the dead and that in you, I have life. Thank me, thank you for making me your own. I love you, Jesus. Listen, if you prayed that prayer this morning and you meant it, 
you are a child of God. You are brought home. Everybody else, this is what I want you to do right where you're at. Holy Spirit, I pray in the powerful name of Jesus that right now you would start dropping into each and every one of us those names of people who are far from you that you are wanting to leverage our lives. Lord, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's that person on social media, whether, Lord, maybe it's just someone we haven't talked to in years, but you're saying, you know what? There's a responsibility that you're putting upon us, God. May we be people who have the heart of God for those who are far from you. May we be a people that are a part of the business of making heaven crowded and hell empty. May we be a people, God, that our heart breaks for what your heart breaks for. That, Lord, we would inherit the very heart of the Father this morning. God, I pray that each one of us would have our reach three. Three people we're praying for that would come to know you, Jesus. I pray that we pray over them every single day. That as we move towards Easter, that, God, we would be active in our faith, that we'd be speaking and Lord, that we would step out of our comfort zones. We'd invite people to church. We would have conversations about you, Jesus, that you would give us boldness in the right words in the right moment, but that God today, we would inherit the very heart of Jesus Christ, that we would scan the horizon for those who are far from you, that our heart would pick up a beat whenever we see them coming home, that we would be party people. That as they turn to you, Jesus, we'd put our dancing shoes on and we'd celebrate with the very angels in heaven. Jesus, we love you. Would you be honored and magnified and glorified in this place? We love you in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Here's how I want us to end. We're going to sing this song one more time as we close. I want you to invite God to give you his perspective. And then I want you to pray for that person that he's dropping on your heart. May we not leave here as the same people we were when we walked in. There is someone in your life that God wants to leverage you to be Jesus with skin on to them. May we pick up that responsibility and do something with it. Let's be party people.